What is up to the podcast people out there? Welcome to the first ever edition of Way Too Loud Podcast. Thank you all who are tuning in as we embark on this journey into the sports podcast world. We will be giving you an insight into our thoughts and opinion, covering an array of topics in the sporting world. I am your host, Jack Noonan. I am honored to be the opener for the first episode of the pod. I'm here with four of my cousins who all share an, share an appreciation and knowledge of the sports world. Our goal is to let our opinions be heard to all the listeners out there as we go over the topics and main stories of the week. Which week, Each week we will upload a new episode of the podcast, hopefully on Fridays. But you can find each episode on SoundCloud and the links will be posted through our Way Too Loud Twitter account at Way Too Loud Pod. Plus on our future Facebook page way too loud podcast and then once we make it big and millions and make millions on advertisements we will be available everywhere like apple podcasts and such all right now let's go through all the introductions of the cousins and have everyone give their name and which teams they're a fan of i'm john powell i'm a florida state fan a new york jets fan a memphis grizzlies fan and a miami marlins fan I'm Chip Javely, and I support the Los Angeles Lakers, the Baltimore Orioles, the Minnesota Vikings, and the Tennessee Volunteers football and basketball. I'm Richard Powell. I support the Florida State Athletics, Tampa Bay Bucks, Tam- Tampa Bay Rays, and Tampa Bay Lightning. And I'm Charles Javely, Chip's brother, and I have all the same teams as him, like he just said, Vikings, Orioles, Lakers, and Vols. And then, as mentioned, I am Jack Noonan. I am a fan of all things Boston sports. The Boston Celtics, Boston Red Sox, New England Patriots, and my college team is also the UT Volunteers. All right, so now we want to kind of break down of how the podcast will be structured in a normal episode. This can change depending on the amount of news there is to talk about each week, but the structure will will stay somewhat the same. First, we want to go through the topics of the week and give our takes, hot or cold, for each news cycle. Next, we will have two sections for each episode. The first section will be Chill or Panic, where I will give a headline and we will talk about whether to chill or panic for each header. The, section, the next section will be the lightning round, where we will, go quick thro- we will go through quick thoughts on other topics we haven't covered on the podcast before. And then that will be it. Should be a good time, and thanks again for listening. So let's dive in. Alright, the first topic of the week is going to be the college football bowl season. First two weeks are... Over of pointless bowl games, now we're going to get the big conferences playing each other and have the ranked competition, plus the college football playoffs is New Year's Day. Always look, something to look forward to. So we're, what we're going to do for this one is go around and everyone's going to name their favorite bowl that they're most looking forward to, either college football playoffs or any of the upcoming games. I'll go ahead and start off with the Goodyear Cotton Bowl. It features number 8 USC versus number 5 Ohio State. Currently the line is Ohio State minus 7.5. I really honestly think that USC, I would like to take USC in this one. I think they might not win outright, but I know it's going to be a close game and also a high-scoring game. It's going to be Sam Darnold facing up against a Ohio State defense led by the one and only Greg Schiano. <laughs> or the Woat. The absolute <laughs> yes. Woat. Was well, Tennessee head coach, then Twitter mob got him out of there. We'll get into that, the coaching carousel, a bit later. But what it is is... Sam, Sam Darnold trying to sh- put on a performance before he's drafted and the, get, so his, his stock can go up. Maybe he's a yep. future Jet. I hope not. He's a complete douche. <laughs> <laughs> it's just how he is. You look at him and you see a guy who shotguns four logos off his dad's yacht. That's just how it works. <laughs> That's groundbreaking analysis from John Power right yeah. there. But it'll be something to watch because <laughs> with Ohio State, you have a team who won the Big Ten, beat, Ohio, beat Wisconsin, but it had two losses on their record anyway because they lost to Iowa in terrible fashion. And so it's going to be interesting if they really want to win this game. I mean, we see these teams just fall flat on their face and the underdog wins, or else the team that you don't think is going to win does win. So after being robbed, maybe not robbed, but after barely missing out on the playoff, it'll be interesting to see how Ohio State comes out. But that's one I'm most excited for. Chip, what about you? Uh, I'm most intrigued, obviously, outside of the two playoff games, but I'm most intrigued by the Peach Bowl that's going to be between UCF and Auburn. Um, there's a little bit of extra, or I should say added intrigue coming into this game with, uh, you know, a little, a little bit of smack talk coming in. UCF running back Adrian Killens Jr., who is 
in his in his defense, quite a player. Um, his six point yards a carry, six point eight yards a carry, put him fifteenth among qualified runners in all of Division One. Anyway, coming into this game, he um, he said that Auburn hasn't seen speed or hasn't seen, I guess, offensive speed like they're going to be bringing to the table. Um, and it's 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 just going to be interesting to see how Auburn responds to that because, again, he's coming from somewhere real on that. His, his UCF is first in all of the NCAA in points per game. Um, now, Auburn, they're no slouches themselves. They're coming in in 14th in total defense. Um, so that's going to be the side of the ball to watch. Um, but I honestly think, you know, with the spread being UCF – or, sorry, Auburn minus 10, um, I think I think UCF covers, but Auburn wins. I think Auburn's going to take take advantage of the UCF's 93rd overall ranked defense. What do, what do you guys think of this game? Honestly, I see it being a route by – Auburn. Really? Yeah, I mean, I could see that USCF will put up the points, but like you were saying, their defense, I didn't realize it was 93rd, but that's still bottom of the barrel. And with Carrion Johnson playing, mm-hmm. it looks like that that's going to be the difference maker. I mean, they'll just run and run and run and also yeah. contain time of possession, which will be very fa- like a huge factor because USCF really doesn't. I mean, they have quick drives that you saw the Memphis game in the yep. whatever conference, American UCF Challenge. is a pure tempo team. And once you take away the ball from them, there's not much they can do on defense yeah, and to stop you. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 I mean, the thing is, it's funny because Killens wanted to talk about how Auburn hasn't seen anything like them. Well, I'm fairly certain UCF's defense hasn't seen a one-two punch like Jared Stidham and Carrion Johnson yet either. So, we'll, exactly. we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Non-Power 5 historically haven't had much Have success well. against Power 5 right. teams. So, Absolutely. John, which is your favorite? Coming well, in? it is a party December 30th at the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> it is going to be Washington <laughs> versus Penn State. Vegas has this Penn State by two, but we'll have to see how it ends up. Penn State's coming in with the seventh most points per game at 41.6, anchored by center Connor McGovern and guard Brandon Mahone. Saquon Barkley and Matt McLoyne are in the backfield, and they're the ones in charge of scoring that many points. Uh, they are on fire lately, averaging 51-plus points in the last three games. Uh, but the Husky defense is not so not so bad themselves. They have Vita Villa, who is a beast defensive tackle in the middle of the D-line. He got the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year award. Not only him, but also Tevin Bartlett and Ryan Bowman at linebacker. They have combined for 20-and-a-half tackles for losses on the season. This is going to be an offensive versus defensive battle in terms of uh, Penn State's offense versus Washington's defense. And on the other way, the way you flip it, the Husky offense is 17th in scoring, but Browning, after his fantastic 2016 season, has had a very mediocre, outstandingly average 2017 season. But he's been helped by Miles Gaskin and Dante Pettit as the cogs that make this offense run. And the Penn State defense, while 12th in S&P+, doesn't really have any star players of their own. They're just all about team defense, making sure they know their assignments. So yep. this is going to be a fun one to look at when it comes down to it. Quick correction on yeah, that. I'm going I'm to be that guy. Um, their QB is not Mac McLoyne. It's Trace McSorley, uh, uh, Penn State. Yeah. But that's, well, what a McSore mistake <laughs> by me. <laughs> right. And also, Good Washington recovery. has one of the worst kicking games in the Power 5. They are 9 of 19 on the year in field goals. So if it comes down to a late clutch field goal, look for Washington to miss it, and we can all laugh together. That's a shocking... Mm. Like, 9 of 19. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's not very good. All right, Charles, what's your favorite? Uh, the game I'm most looking forward to is the Tax Slayer Bowl, and this is probably the only year I would say I'm looking forward to the Tax Slayer Bowl uh, above all else, but I am because it's uh, featuring one of the best quarterbacks in the last few years we've seen in college football probably in Lamar Jackson. It's Louisville versus Mississippi State. Louisville is favored right now by seven points. I think I'm leaning to Louisville minus seven. Just because Mississippi State has a lot of moving parts. They're in transition right now with Dan Mullen leaving and their defensive coordinator, Todd Grantham, leaving as well. QB missing also. In Florida, as well as their quarterback. I know Fitzgerald. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, Mississippi State has a pretty solid defense. They're top ten in the nation in total defense, only giving up 20 points a game. But I think Lamar Jackson is just going to be too much. I've never really liked what they've done around Lamar Jackson on that offense, but I think he's going to be enough talent to pull them through for sure. Um, what do you guys think? Uh, I definitely think you're right about them being bad outside of Lamar. I mean, both sides of the ball, offense and defense, are pretty pretty much trash outside of Lamar Jackson. But 
I think I'm going to go with you with, with all the moving parts of Mississippi State right now. I also think Lamar Lamar by himself is going to be enough to pull Louisville through yeah. in that game. Lamar's a one-man team right now, and you know he had better numbers than he did last year when he won the Heisman. But because Louisville was so bad, he was what he finished third. Yeah, this in the year. voting yeah. this year. Yeah. So, um, and also one thing about Mississippi State, they just lost to Ole Miss, and I know that's a bad loss. Yeah, and bad I know loss. it was the same game that Fitzgerald got hurt, but that's a bad loss. Again, to it's Ole Miss a rivalry, team. but that's a bad loss. Yeah. Mississippi bad State, loss. Mississippi State's just one of those teams you don't really know what you're going to get because at the same time they had Alabama on their heels, and then like you said, they go and lose to Ole Miss. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what we we get in Starkville. In Starkville. In Starkville, right? So Richard, what are you thinking? What's your favorite? Well, I'm looking forward to the Rose Bowl between Georgia and Oklahoma. Uh, Vegas has Georgia favored by a point and a half. And this is just one of those classic matchups between a SEC defense versus a high-powered offense from outside of the conference. And, uh, you, you know, it's Baker Mayfield versus the world right now, and he's going up against a staunch Georgia defense who, after getting owned by Auburn in the regular season, managed to shut them down in the SEC championship game. Mm-hmm. And so um, that'll be that'll be a good matchup to watch. The other one I'm intrigued to watch is Georgia's offense versus Oklahoma's defense. So Pac or not Pac-12, uh, Big 12 defenses aren't exactly known for their defense. Right. And mm-hmm. Georgia knows how to score the ball. They have Mitchell and Chubb in the backfield, and Fromm has proved himself to be a very solid college quarterback. So it's going to be one of those games where it could be a shootout or it could be, you know, pretty low scoring game. Just a matter of what happens between the, in the matchups? Yeah, you know, uh, SEC defenses are known for shutting down these types of offenses. Too. High-powered offenses coming mm-hmm. in, especially in big-time games. Yep. I mean, you've seen it throughout the 2000s over and over and over with either Florida or Bama facing a big game or big offense in the national championship. But we also, we've also seen how Baker Mayfield plays when he has reason to play good. He, he, it's true. he, he shreds people up. Plant the flag, it's, Baker. It's going it's, it's to be up to Baker because at this point, I think it's fair to say that Oklahoma, at least if definitely not this season, really probably not in the last few years, have they seen a defense with the sideline to sideline speed that this Georgia defense has. You know, when you think of the SEC's heyday back five to ten years ago, this Georgia defense is exactly how those LSU and Florida and Auburn defenses were back then. Um, so we'll see how Baker handles that because he certainly hasn't seen one like it. This the time. second topic for today's pod is still in football, but we're switching gears to the NFL. Week 17 is the last week of the NFL season. And it's a weekend with a lot of stakes, whether the teams will move on into the playoffs and the seeding within the playoffs. This is how the playoff picture looks as of now. In the AFC, you have the one-seed New England Patriots, two-seed Pittsburgh Steelers, three-seed Jacksonville Jaguars, four-seed Kansas City Chiefs, five-seed Baltimore Ravens, and somehow in the sixth-seed, we have the Tennessee Titans, still there after losing three straight games. They're trying to lose, but they're almost choking as hard as John Powell's fantasy football team this season. Not quite, though. Not quite. I started 6-2. and I lost, like, Seven of the last nine games, it's fine. Ouch. Quite pathetic. But in the hunt in the AFC, we have the Buffalo Bills and San Diego Chargers. Those are still the teams that are mathematically still in play for the um, that sixth seed. In the NFC, we have number one who is locked in this position, the Philadelphia Eagles. The number two seed is the Jabblies, Minnesota Vikings. Three seed is the New Orleans Saints. Four seed, Los Angeles Rams. Five seed, Carolina Panthers. Six seed, Atlanta Falcons. And the only team still in the hunt in the NFC is the Seattle Seahawks. So, quick rundown of how these teams can get into the playoffs. In the AFC, if Tennessee wins, they're in. If the For the Chargers, if the Chargers win, Tennessee loses, and Baltimore wins, the Chargers are in. For Buffalo, the Bills have to win, Chargers have to lose, Tennessee has to lose, and they're in. Or, Buffalo wins, Ravens lose, wow. and now. And then the Buffalo Bills would get in. In the NFC... Much easier. Falcons win and they are in. Seahawks win and the Falcons lose and Seattle is in. All right. After that mouthful, what are we thinking, guys? It's going to be not as as dramatic as we were thinking, but it'll still be a good close to the finish. And also, kind of going in our thoughts about the playoff playoffs going forward as well. I think it's a joke that the Titans are even involved Honestly, at this point because they are the most inept team I've ever watched on TV. Like, we live in an area where 
Titans are on TV every it's, weekend. It's funny because the Titans, the Titans got out to that eight and four start. They squeaked by all those horrible teams. Like they needed OT to beat the Browns. They barely beat the Ravens back when the Ravens were struggling. Same thing with like the Chargers or somebody. But it's funny because the Titans have lost to um, Cardinals. The Cardinals with Blaine Gabbert and the Fighting, 49ers. The Fighting the last, Jimmy Garoppolo. The last two of the last three weeks to 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 keep them not. Not in yet, anyway. And Mariota's taken a big step back this year. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of that falls on the play calling and the coaching staff, but I am fully preparing myself for the Titans to lose to the Jaguars. It's going to be hilarious because the Jaguars have absolutely nothing to play for. They're locked in the three seed, yep. and they might end up resting a lot of guys maybe for the whole game or after halftime. They should. So it, it's, for sure. it's, the classic, it's the classic Titans game to lose. <laughs> they have an easy way to get in the playoffs. Classic Titans game to lose. I see the Chargers honestly making it from them. They have to win. I think Baltimore. Baltimore has the uh, Bengals, who just look like awful. Who does Buffalo play? Buffalo plays the at Miami Dolphins. Okay. Okay. So, but that's a it's a stupid game for the Dolphin or for the Bills. The Dolphins are a weird pesky team. Kenyon Drake leading that offense somehow with who cares? Jay Cutler at <laughs> still at quarterback, and the Chargers have the Raiders. To play, so I, I honestly see the Chargers winning that game against the Raiders, and then Baltimore winning, and then they're in, and then it'll be Jacksonville probably steamrolling them in the second round or the wild card round, and then it might go scratch. I could see the Chiefs beating the Ravens because the Chiefs have just good enough defense. I mean, their defense is, has been shocking, but they yeah. might have just a good enough defense to beat the Ravens. Doesn't take much to, to take on that offense. But playoff Joe Flacco is different story. True. <laughs> We, speaking of the Chiefs, we get to see Mahomes, don't we? Yes, that'll be interesting. Yeah. That'll be interesting. I was I was intrigued by him. He has a ton of raw ability. Um, no, but something uh, something that I wanted to hit on um, with the AFC is is I, I've sort of done a 180 on the Jaguars' um, yeah. playoff hopes after this last week, and it's always dumb to overreact to one game. But Todd Wash, their defensive coordinator, um, I've learned um, just from reading through Twitter and stuff that he – it turns out his scheming abilities don't line up with the abilities of the players in that secondary. Um, don't they know. play better in a press coverage? And he yes, well, he... way better. Yes, yeah. and they, you know guys Jalen Ramsey, AJ AJ Bouye, um, you know all those guys. You know they're obviously an insanely good secondary, but we just watched Kyle Shanahan humiliate them over the weekend, honestly, completely though, embarrass the them with 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 minimal offensive talent. Well, honestly, Garoppolo is um, the greatest player to ever him, play. Yes, uh, other than Tom good. Brady, but he's good. But the other guys, they have their skill guys aren't great. So anyway, we watched him embarrass them, and I'm just I'm, I'm slowing my roll on on Jacksonville. Easy about the Brady and Garoppolo, by the way. Brady, <laughs> fine, what? sure, whatever. Garoppolo, we'll see. That is all. Slow He's your old, I don't know, man. I'm on. I'm on the Jimmy G train. I'm Jim, on the Jimmy G Jimmy train. GQ, baby. Jimmy GQ. I'm trying not to overreact to to this loss at San Francisco. You know, it's it's hard to win on the road out west in the NFL, and it's just one week. But I am a little concerned by that. I am a little concerned, as Chip Chip just uh, mentioned, whether or not the coaching can kind of kind of deal with the talent they have there, because they have a chance to be one of the greatest defenses this league's ever ever seen, really. It's that and, good. The and it's the type good. of defense that can just steamroll teams in the playoffs. It'll depend on our buddy Blake Bortles and what he wants to do and whether or not he wants to kind of channel his inner Joe Flacco and Eli Manning and play way better than what he is or whether or not he wants to beat Blake Bortles and they'll you know lose second round or first round. Whatever. So I'm going to pose this question, switching to the NFC. Um are, is Philly still for real with Nick Foles? They barely pulled out a win against, and I guess it was Sunday night against, or Monday night against the Raiders. I don't know. I still think they are. I think it's proving Carson Wentz was not an MVP of that team. I think their defense is still stout. Um, that's really what I see. I still think they're going to cruise. And the home field advantage at Lincoln Financial Field is something to. I mean, it's something to compete with, so it's going to be hard. To... I'm not. I'm not going to totally jump off off the boat here with the Eagles. I'm with you. Um, they've looked pretty awful since um, they've lost Wentz, but I, I will say this. Um, yes, I, I do still expect them to be in the NFC title game. But if I'm the Rams, I'm playing for that four, not the three. I would yeah. rather go to Philly in the divisional round than Minnesota. Um, what do you yeah. guys think? I have I have completely uh, changed my mind about the Eagles uh, with Nick Foles. I mean, watching that game, 
between Nick Foles and Derek Carr, I think I contracted like every disease in the book <laughs> watching the game. I mean, it was just brutal. I mean, honestly, I mean, I would rather watch paint dry, but. I just think Nick Foles is is terrible, and I think he's proving it. And I think their defense might be regressing. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of see. But I think they're a, a far less daunting one seed than you know what, what I thought would be the one seed of the NFC. Because the depth of that conference is scary. I mean, the Falcons are a terrifying six seed. Yes. With you know what Matt Ryan can do if that team gets hot and talent on the defense. If so, figures it out. Yeah. So. Can, we t- can we talk about the team that's coming in hot? Is the Saints after a yes. terrible start to their season? Yes, rough. Oh, and they, they what they've clinched the fifth seed. No, they're the three seed. They're in the they're three the, seed right now. Three, but they have seed? to win to clinch the division. Yeah, still. yeah. So out the Buccaneers. That's who they play. Yep, yep. Well, <laughs> go Bucks. But yeah, no, they they uh they started off terrible and they've only lost once or twice since. They're yeah. something like that. Yeah, but. One quick point that I thought was very, very funny. So the Seahawks right now, I do think they're going to get in. I think Cam will beat the Falcons because I think Cam is trying to get home field advantage for that first game. That means a lot in Carolina because they can't really play on the road. Out of their hands, though. Right, right. They're going to need a lot of help. But the Seattle stat, if, which the Vikings fans in here would appreciate, so the Seahawks would miss the playoffs right now. If Blair Walsh didn't miss a 27-yarder, and Monday Night Football against the Falcons when they played them and missed a 52 yarder at the um, at the end. At the end, they would be going to the playoffs. Well, right? good. That Warm, warms my heart. Just poetic justice. Warms Blair, my heart. Blair Walsh. Um, but yeah, yeah, so now I want to go ahead and go around real quick and get everyone's Super Bowl predictions. Who's playing and then who's going to win? John, go ahead and start us off. It's going to be Panthers, Patriots, and the Patriots are going to win because, of course, they do. Charles. I have the Patriots and the Vikings, actually. I slipped. I had the Patriots and Panthers, but I'm just, I, I don't know how much Cam can do with that team and that offensive line. And the Vikings are going to have home field, except for Philadelphia, who I think the Vikings will beat. So I have the Patriots and the Vikings, and I have the Patriots winning. Wow. That's a. Patriots Vikings would be a, a family divided on that yes, one. Richard, would. who do you have? I got the Steelers and the Vikings, and I think the Steelers are going to pull it out. I'm going to go Patriots over Rams for me. Wow, Rams, interesting. I have the Patriots and Eagles, and actually I think the defensive line of the Eagles is good enough to rock Brady, hit him a few too many times, and the Eagles will win. Good old Derek Barnett. Yep, balls, balls, balls. You think Nick Foles is going to be a Super Bowl champion? Yes, carried by the defense, yes. We will see. The third topic we want to touch on is Black Monday. Black Monday is the Monday after Week 17 where most of the co- of the uh, NFL coaches are fired if they're pretty much expected to go. It's just the day that it has happened. This year it comes on New Year's Day, which is going to be a terrible hangover for about 10 guys around the league. So we want to kind of give our thoughts on who we think, one or two guys we think will get fired, or else guys that should be fired. And we'll start with Chip. Who do you think should be fired after this 2017-2018 um, NFL season? Uh, it, it, it seems pretty obvious, but it's Hugh Jackson. Um, it's, it's Hugh Jackson. He, uh, I understand that Jimmy Haslam, the, the Browns owner, has said he doesn't plan to fire Hugh Jackson. But, man, if you go 0-16, how – Did he really say that? How, yeah. Wow. Yeah, when he fired that. the GM and then they turned over the GM position, he said he planned to keep Hugh on for next year. I don't see how you do that after you go 0-16. I have one fact. And really, it's the only fact that anyone should need to know about Hugh Jackson. He's been there for two seasons now, or almost two seasons now. He's coached 31 games. He's won one of them. Yep. He is one in 31 in two years there. That is the only stat that anyone should need to see as far as why to fire Hugh Jackson. And I also will, will add this in. I saw a tweet a couple of weeks ago that said, if you if you you know multiply all the probabilities together of the Browns' chances to win each game this year, there would have been like a one percent chance that they would have lost every game, and that was wow. back in like week twelve or thirteen. So now it's even less than that. They they it's not like there's no talent. There's talent. They just they just suck. That stat makes me wonder if any of us, if any, if any of us five were to take over the Cleveland Browns, do you think we could win one game in 31 tries? Because I do. I, I think so. We I think really we might. I mean, we really might. I mean, at least out of pure luck, we'd win one yeah, of them, right? They don't, have, they don't have talent, but, like, 
something would happen in our favor. Like, right. I won five straight Super Bowls on Madden, so how long can it be? <laughs> there Basically you go. The same exactly. <laughs> Charles Hoosier. Uh, I have two of them, and they're both from the NFC North. The first one I want to talk about is Jim Caldwell. And I have an unbelievable stat about him. He's been there four years. And in in games against teams who finish the season with a winning record, he is 4-25. Wow. 4-25. <laughs> and 25. I mean, that's unbelievable. With the amount of talent that the Lions have had with Matthew Stafford, you can be a lot worse off as a head coach than having Matthew Stafford as your quarterback. It's crazy to me. He reminds me a lot of Marvin Lewis. He's just conservative, kind of stoic on the sidelines. Um, and he's really the face of mediocrity to me. Um, Didn't he just get signed extension, too? Yeah, I think, I think he did. Is he the and last year or the year yeah, before? He, he yeah, I mean, yeah, recently as of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not even sure he's going to get fired, but he, he really should. I mean, 4-25 and against teams with a winning record. That is And they just signed Stafford to a massive right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. He was the second, I guess he's second pay Highest paid after car now. And they've actually developed a pretty good secondary, too. It, it's unbelievable that they're still hanging around 500. And, you know, in typical Lions fashion, they choked it up against the Bengals last week to put them out of playoff contention. No the excuse Bengals, for that loss. The Bengals, no excuse at all. Really banged the up Bengals have quit. Yeah, basically quit on their coach. And um, the second coach from the NFC North, although I'm not going to get into Mike McCarthy and how he's ruined Aaron Rodgers' career. You know, I'm not, I'm not going not gonna to get into that. I want to talk about John Fox, <laughs> who's, who has been in Chicago uh, for three years and has has really done nothing. You could make the argument that it's not as much his fault as the organization. He's had zero Pro Bowlers in three years. He, he's never had a Pro Bowler there in Chicago. I think his last his last chance to keep that job was if Trubisky hit. If Trubisky was, you know, he turned out to be some great yeah. quarterback, look like Deshaun Watson, but that's definitely not the case. He's looked awful. But, I mean, these, these two guys, like, you know when you're watching football and they pan to the sidelines and you're just like, thank God that guy's not my coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, is, that is how I feel about Jim Caldwell and John Fox. My, my guy to look for is Jason Garrett, Cow- Cowboys head coach and Jerry Jones' lover boy, I guess that's how you would put it. Because with him being incredibly mediocre for his whole coaching career, he's still hasn't done anything he's made the playoffs twice in seven seasons he's his record with the cowboys is 67 and 55 and he's just running on the like the constant treadmill of mediocrity they're right now sitting eight and seven they lost out of the playoffs losing last week to seattle they don't have any hope looking forward zeke yes he lost zeke this year and yes they were looked good with zeke but how have you not made the playoffs back-to-back years and only have one playoff victory under jason garrett if you're not doing anything to make the playoffs why are you a coach in the nfl that's my biggest thing his play calls are atrocious his defensive schemes are terrible and as like as michael lombardi from the ringer likes to call him is the clapper his cha- his <laughs> yeah his um reactions on the sideline do not change one bit he just sits and claps with a just a monotone face that's funny. and it's incredible that's funny and the eagles are for real they're young and they're for real and the men- the window was missed with the NFC East when it was subpar and the 8-8 eight eight was the one team moving on to the playoffs. Don't know why Jason Garrett's a coach anymore. Jerry Jones is going to stick with him another year. Who knows? He's had Romo and then Dak Prescott behind that offensive line in yep. two years of Zeke Elliott, and they've done nothing. Yeah, that, yeah, jack squat. That loss to Seattle on Sunday said it all for me. That's a lot like the Lions lost to the Bengals. I mean, you have no reason to lose that game. Seattle just got throttled by the Rams the week before. And, I mean, they, they've been battled with, or they've been uh, plagued with injuries. Uh, I mean, I don't know how they lose to Seattle at home to take them out of the playoffs. See, the, one of the Rams players said playing Seattle was like playing the Browns. That yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awful. John, who's your coach? Well, <clears throat> my coach is also my coach. Todd Bowles, the New York Jets. And New York Jets is all you really have to know to know that he needs to be fired. <laughs> have you seen what he's been doing since he's been hired? You're right. Absolutely nothing. He's all he's done is dump veterans that didn't want to play for him and didn't want to play for his like front office. Of course, yeah, I don't blame them for leaving. We haven't done anything to keep them there. And then he's trying trying to bring in all these great draft picks. And what have we done? A second round draft pick to old Christian Hackenberg, who hmm. is somehow still worse than Bryce Petty, who might be the second worst player I've ever seen throw the ball in the NFL. 
behind Ryan Lindley of the <laughs> Arizona Cardinals way back. And that was a guy who I saw throw more interceptions than completions that night. So there's nothing to look forward to with the Jets with Todd Bowles. He promised a defensive to be a defensive coach, and what are all the defensive players doing? They're leaving to go other places. So what do we even have to look forward to anymore? Nothing. Get out of here, Todd Bowles. I will have to somehow, as a Pats fan, come in defense of Todd Bowles, not just so he can stay and Pats can keep beating him, but the sub uh, the addition by subtraction of your younger or your older guys did look good down the last couple of games. Their defense looked a lot better than it had before. You have kids that are actually trying to play a young, quick, faster defense that you saw in in Todd Bowles' old schemes. I don't know. I mean, yes, the offense is just god-awful, but maybe there's something to not completely shit on him for. But that's the thing about Todd Bowles. He always gives you that maybe, that little <laughs> something. Every single season. Maybe that little something. And I I hate it. I don't want maybe that little something anymore. I want real results. I want something I can look forward to in a season. Please. And that's and that's what I was, you know, I was looking at I was looking at the Jets uh, past couple seasons today and I noticed that the Jets find themselves on the same trajectory as the Colts, which I just mentioned. They're they've kind of been headed downward little by little. I don't really see how anyone can say that they're on an upward trajectory right now at all. So I'm, I'm definitely with John on that. Yeah, Richard, what do you got? Who's your coach you're looking at? Well, I'm going to tag along with John here and pick on my coach as well. Uh, Dirk Cutter at Tampa Bay needs to go. It, this was only his second season. But let's look at what he did. his first decision as head coach when he took over two seasons ago. It was to trade up to the second round to draft a kicker. Now, from what I've read, they actually drafted Roberto Aguayo, for those of you who don't know, who was one of the more accurate kickers in NCAA history. So on that, could be argued it was a good pick. But then they coached him to change his mechanics. Why he would change the most accurate kicker's mechanics? Beyond me. And then he went 9-7 and seven on his first year, which was a little bit above expectations. And just outside the playoff picture, and before this season, he goes out and gets Deshaun Jackson as a deep threat, uh, drafts O.J. Howard as a tight end, and expectations were through the roof for, because the NFC South with Carolina and Saints being down were kind of wide open, and everyone thought it was going to be between the Bucks and Atlanta. And Plus, Jameis has regressed like we were talking about with Mariota. Right. He's regressed, regressed a lot. So it's I was just about to get there was – same thing with Malarkey at Tennessee. They, they got Jameis and Mariota, and they haven't done jack with them. Like, Mar uh, Jameis has put up great numbers. He's thrown for 4,000 yards two straight seasons, and he's on his he's had decent games the past few weeks. But With an injured shoulder, too. Injured with an injured shoulder, shoulder but they don't, they don't have a running back. The offensive line can't give Jameis more than two seconds to throw it. Their, their passing plays are long-developing plays. They don't throw a lot of short passes and let them run after the catch. It, it, running game's non-existent. Defensive talent still gives up a bunch of points a game. The, the whole coaching staff just needs a reset because yeah. the, the talent is there for Tampa Bay to compete, but for whatever reason, they're not competing. Yeah, I agree. It's been tough sledding for them, and the AFC South is just so brutal now that it's going to be hard for mm. anything to change without some kind of change. But just, hey, get the groomers going. Exactly. I was just about to say that. Get the, the John Gruden's going. The comeback. If, Gr if Gruden comes back, I'll be a happy man, but I highly doubt that'll happen. But All right, so we'll have to stay tuned with all this Black Monday talk going on, and there'll be a lot of sad coaches in the NFL, and it's close to breaking records from what the experts, so mm -hmm. to speak, are thinking right now. So we will see. All right, we'll go on to our chiller panic segment now. This segment is brought to you by Adventure Joe's Car Dealership. If you were searching for a new or used car last minute, no need to panic any longer with Adventure Joe's. He's always got your back. In this segment, we'll break down one or two things of the week that we didn't really get to touch on in the main topics. First topic we want to get into, and our own resident Marlins fan, John Powell, can start us off. The Giancarlo Stanton trade was it a trade was it a giveaway was it a fire sale whatever they're doing in miami with co-owner Derek jeter traded john carlos santon traded to the yankees john i'll let you have the mic on this one we are panicking 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 
Not only did Giancarlo leave, who is the only reason that we've even had a team anymore in the first place, we got nothing but scraps when we returned. Like, what we get, like, the seventh best prospect. The Yankees' seventh best yeah, prospect. Yankees' best seventh best and prospect. And that was, like, one, that was the best thing we got. Starling Castro. Yeah. Starling Castro. Yeah. Beautiful. And Marlins fans should be panicking because this new ownership is clearly just going to go the Jeffrey Loria route of selling off everybody for either cash considerations or prospects that aren't even that good. We're only in it for the money. We are in it for the money ball in all the wrong ways. Uh, not only the fans, but owners should be panicking too. I'm looking at you, Derek Jeter. You are already off on the absolute wrong foot with everyone in South Florida. Marlins man is already mad at you. You had a town hall where everyone was ripping every decision you made oh, and so you funny. had nothing yeah, so good much. to say in return all you said was like oh yeah have faith in the future they didn't want to help rebuild Giancarlo wanted to stay in miami he wanted to help rebuild the way you structured it made him want to leave because you messed it up we're all panicking you don't know what we're doing we don't know what we're doing and now we're going to get rid of all of our young players that had out all the influence ozuna's going to be gone yellish is going to be gone like what do i even have to look forward to this next this next season nobody Nobody. I'm going to have to be cheering for a team of scrubs. We're all panicking in South Florida. And it's all thanks to you, Derek Jeter. Really couldn't have said that better myself. Wow. That was a great, great monologue right there. Yeah, that was a good rant. Um, little two cents for me. I absolutely hate this as a Red Sox fan. I absolutely hate the Yankees. I don't understand why the Rob, Rob Manford let it happen. It's just bizarre that this trade, I mean, it just doesn't equate like it just doesn't make sense at all with the marlins giving up or the yankees not having to give up anyone marlins getting rid of a big contract i understand that but like wow i don't know other ALEs people what do we think i mean i just feel bad for marlins fans like john because they thought they were done with this they dealt with jeffrey laurie long enough and of course they got that big flashy new stadium and there's a lot of buzz around the team they finally had some fun players and then it's already crashing down and and playing yeah, that's that's kind of kind of going along with that. I was thinking, you know, Marlins fans probably thought they couldn't do any worse than Jeffrey Lorian when it was when it was uh when it came out that he was going to sell the team. Marlins fans rightfully celebrated and here it seems like they're in just as bad a shape right now. And I, I um I want to say too that arguably a more egregious move for the Marlins was the Azuna trade. Because they didn't get anything back for Ozuna so either. Bad. All we got um, was to get rid of the contract and like cash considerations and a terrible prospect. Yeah. So I don't know what they're doing over there. As far as being in the AL East, you know, being an Orioles fan, it does suck. But at the same time, the Orioles are clearly headed nowhere. As we well. don't have it much so, better. Yeah. Uh, you know, it sucks because I hate the Yankees and they're going to be winning a lot now. So, you know. And and of course Derek Jeter to make him even more hated immediately would get the trade to go to New York. Of course he would. Oh, exactly. Not, not the Dodgers, not the Giants, not the Cardinals, all of whom offered much much better trades in return. No, he's gonna go to the Yankees for their number seven best prospect. And that was the best part. It was he acted like he was shopping him about, saying like, "Oh no, John Carly doesn't want to go to the Cardinals or the Giants. Only pick the top four teams." And oh look, the Yankees are one of them. Shame mm. on you, Derek Jeter. Shame on mm. you. Yeah, just delusion. Hate you. Kind more. of ironic. The second topic we're going to talk about in the section of chill or panic is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, of course, when we were thinking of topics for the, this section, we saw that the Thunder were struggling and looked like they would be a great team to use in this section. As of now, they are 20 and 15, sitting in the five seed in the West, and they're 8-2 and two in the last 10 games, winning six in a row. So they might have answered the question in the, pretty much in the short term, but let's take this question and look long term. The Oklahoma City Thunder, chill or panic? Chip, lead us off. I'm gonna, I'm, you know, a week ago I was, I was, I was gonna panic, but I, I'm gonna chill. I'm gonna chill on the Thunder, um, and uh, I know that's a bit of a 180 for me, but I guess the thing is, there's just too much talent on that team. They're gonna return to their talent level at some point. They'll probably wind up as like the four or five seed in the West or something like that. They'll probably win their first round playoff series and lose to the Thunder or Spurs in the second round. Um, so I'm, I'm going to chill as far as their final season result. It'll be more or less what we expected. But I'm still down on Russ, and I'm still down on Billy Donovan as their head coach. I still don't think that I still don't think that Billy Donovan has a good understanding of rotations, um, and I still don't think that Russ is a good team basketball player. Um, so that's, that's that's me. Charles, what do you got? I'm going to chill with them as well. Uh, I like Billy Donovan more than you and Jack do, Chip. I I'm a believer of Billy Donovan. 
I think Russell Westbrook is a difficult basketball player to coach. He can, he can be really frustrating. And I know Thunder fans know what I'm talking about. He, he, can, he shows flashes of greatness and everything. But he, he's tough to play around. And we've seen the success that some of his counterparts have had after leaving. Like Victor Oladipo and Demonis Sabonis. Sabonis. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to chill with them. And as good as the Western Conference is, as long as they don't end up like the 7 or 8 seed, that they, they, like, they should be fine. Like As long as they don't play... Like the Warriors, uh, but I mean, without that, that that conference is really deep. So uh, if they're if they're anywhere middle of the pack, I think they'll be fine. You say flashes of uh, greatness, as if Russell Westbrook didn't just average a triple double for an entire season and win MVP. I'd say that is a long flash of greatness. But he's not well, the MVP. With that we a thought. record usage rate, with a record yeah, usage that, rate. Yeah, that that well. was a different situation, and as it equates to winning as well, because that was. That was more stacking the stat sheet. He had nothing exactly. to play for. He had no... He had the ball in his hands whenever he was on the court. Yeah. I mean, And what is the triple-double? We can get into this conversation on a bigger level, but what does a triple-double actually mean? If you're 9.9 assists, and then you are 9.9 averaging assists, and you, but now you're 10.1 averaging assists, like... It's totally arbitrary. It's, it's a pointless stat that I don't agree with. But, Richard, what do you have to say about this? Do you chill or panic? Uh, I'm chilling uh, ever since... Nice. I'm chilling. Yeah, I'm, I'm just chilling, man. Beer in my hand, feet in the sand. Yeah, um, I, I'm chilling because uh, uh, you got a pretty good coach in Donovan, and ever since Durant left, it's kind of been a it, it's kind of hit or miss. I'm trying to get the right players around Westbrook, so it's kind of a chill because this is an experiment that you're just gonna have to go through. I mean. Westbrook's always been a me-first player, and you put two other me-first players in there with him, with Melo and Paul George. So if you if you have similar styles as far as selfish players, it's not going to work. So you just need to chill and quit expecting these players to change their strategy. Yeah, well, I'll be the one to be on the panic side, and that's what I would have said before this, before hearing everyone else's. But my panic, I would panic because, look, they are a three-headed monster with these three superstars on their team. The trade looks like it might not even worked out for Paul George. Victor Oladipo looks like has, is having a second coming over there in Indiana, looking great, going to make the Eastern Conference All-Stars, even though it's a different <laughs> scale these days. But... Their bench. Their bench is one of the worst benches in the league. They're god-awful. Roberson sits out at the – just is a cancer on offense. Cannot – he's a great defensive player, but he can't do anything on the offense. They have to have Alex Breen's out there, mm-hmm. like, giving minutes up. Billy Donovan is not a good coach, and like Charles said, I was going to say, he's not a good coach. His rotations are awful, like Chip said. The why they aren't working together – so you see that they're not working together. Why don't you put Mello with the bench unit? Bring up the scoring in the bench unit, or have at least one of the superstars playing with the bench. Russ clearly isn't a good teammate. I was actually on board for him to win the MVP last year, and was not anti-Harden, but I just thought that Russ deserved it more because he pretty much had literally the whole team on his back. But now you're watching, like I said, Victor Oladipo doing well, and also Sabonis. And the actual breakdown of Sabonis' game now is so much different. In last year in Oklahoma City, he just had to sit out at the three-point line. He strictly took threes and did terrible. Now he's not taking threes and playing in the paint or in inside area with uh, Indiana and has leveled up his game completely. I would panic because, well, unfortunately, the NBA is a little slanted still. They're not getting past, like Chip said, the Warriors or the Spurs. Not even the Rockets either. So it's it's hard, but if you're sitting at the 60, it's going to be one and done, which is going to be annoying. But... That's just how the NBA is, and Oklahoma City has to figure it out, and Billy Donovan is not the guy to do that. And another another reason I said kind of chill with them, with, historically with uh, with the NBA, when, when you put superstars together, it takes a little bit of time for them to mesh and reach their potential. The big three uh, for Miami all those years ago with LeBron is obviously the best example. Obviously, that's way more talented than this team, and I don't really know what this team's ceiling is in a brutal Western Conference, but I think they... They will continue to get better as time goes on, and I think they're showing that right now. And for our final segment, we have the lightning round. Lightning round presented by Old Smoky Moonshine. When the mood strikes, white lightning. Please drink responsibly. So, for this 
we have we're gonna go quickly through a couple topics we wanted to m- make sure we mentioned that are funny stories or things that have hit the news that we don't really want to have a whole segment for first the coaching carousel i will run through the coaches that have changed in their new schools really quickly for so for oregon we have mario cristobal florida state we have Will, willie taggart tennessee jeremy pruitt arkansas chad morris nebraska scott frost florida dan mullen texas a&m jimbo fisher ucla chip kelly arizona state herm edwards mississippi state joe moorhead oregon state john smith old miss kept their interim matt luke so everyone's gonna go around and say the most notable coaching change in your view john start us off all right i think chad morris i think it's gonna be a loser i think he's got a lot of maturity show because i remember when he was out offensive coordinator at clemson he had a tendency to blame todd boyd for everything because in big games whenever anything would go wrong instead of taking responsibility for himself and offensive play calls he would, he would blame todd boyd's arm todd boyd's legs and he's really need to grow up because he really didn't get the chance to show that at a big power five school at smu Chip, who do you have? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with a loser as well, and mine's Florida State. Um, and it's not to jab at you, Powell's. And it's nothing against Willie Taggart either, actually. Uh, it's just kind of on principle when you lose a coach of the caliber of Jimbo Fisher, arguably a top five head coach in the nation, and I understand the circumstances that surrounded the situation. I understand a lot of it was on Jimbo Fisher. Um, I understand he kind of acted immature or whatever you want to call it you know, on his way out. But Florida State still comes out losers because they come out with an inferior coach to Jimbo Fisher. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes, but that's, 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 my, that's what sticks out to me. All right, for mine, I'm also, of course, going to go with a loser. But my loser is Arizona State. I think if you see Herm Edwards, you just don't see him as a college football coach right now. From 2009 to 2017, he was an analyst at ESPN. He hasn't had any coaching experience in a very, very long time. None of the 18-year-old kids that he's going to be trying to recruit are going to give him the time of day, honestly. They lost their offensive deep, offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator after their AD made fun of Tennessee, not to mention. But Herman Edwards is not the answer there. They're going to figure out really quick that catchy phrases don't does not win games. That's my view on but that. But he's a football guy, man. Yeah, and the catchy <laughs> phrases. You play to win the game. <laughs> Charles, who do you have? My winner is UCLA with the hire of Chip Kelly who I was unrealistically hoping for Tennessee to get in this coaching search, and but I was also very relieved when he didn't end up going to Florida. I think he has a great, great system. He's proven it in college football, especially on that Pac-12 conference. Uh, and he even showed it in the NFL for a short time. Made Nick Foles look like damn Brett Favre for a while. A uh, very short time. But, you know, his, his system didn't belong in the NFL. I think it belongs in the Pac-12, and I think that's the perfect marriage. Richard, who's your coach? Well, Tennessee's coaching search started off like uh, lighting a gas station on fire. It just, they hired Shiano, it, it, everything exploded. Fans, state representatives. Twitter mob, the, baby. Twitter mob. Twitter mob, Twitter mob Twitter. yeah. It was the most un, unreal thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but so for them to go out and get Pruitt after all of that is a major win to me. I think Pruitt is one of those guys that has been overlooked, and I think he's he's ready to take on being a head coach somewhere and i think he's a great recruiter he's gonna put a good staff together for tennessee defense first hopefully it'll work out all right the next topic or person we want to talk about is lavar ball it's a pretty funny story if you saw it that happened last week he is starting a league for out of high school players that do not want to play in college and it's pretty much like the g league but he's offering to play to pay the players ten thousand a month now, of course, you know you could just get 20000 a month at UNC, but thank, <laughs> thank Twitter for that joke. But what do you guys think about this? I think it's just so stupid. It's just the ball's keeping in the, um, keeping in the news. They already have a league out like that out there. So exactly. What, why do it again? I mean, just because you think your name's worth something, he's going to do that? You know, I actually think it's a little bit of a good idea just because it's LeVar Ball. And I think some of these recruits might think about it. And if he gets a few big-time recruits and it gets going, it could force the NCAA's hand into, into having to pay players, which I think is the best part of this and the most interesting part. Next guy I want to talk about is Contavious Caldwell-Pope. <laughs> this story is hysterical. He is currently living in jail. He's lived there for about past 15 days. He violated his probation in Michigan, I believe, and now is living in the penitentiary in California. He is escorted from practice to the jail and then games to the jail, and now can't leave the state for the next month. 
He he misses all road games. I think this is hysterical. John, what do you think about this? It is one of the greatest things ever to happen to an NBA player. The fact that he can practice and he can play games. He cannot go to away games. He has to be escorted. When has this ever happened before in our memory ever? If this were not, if this were not such a crazy news cycle year, this would be one of the most talked about stories of the NBA season. It's definitely one of my favorite stories. And like you said, I've never heard, I've never heard anything like this in any professional sport. I mean, ever. The guy was wearing an ankle monitor during the game last night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you think what that have you ever the seen jumper? that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely hysterical. The last topic we wanted to touch on is a little bit more off-season baseball. It's Shohei Oitani. He was signed by the Los Angeles Angels, and he is a Japanese professional baseball pitcher, but also he is compared to Babe Ruth because he also hits and also hits bombs. We are not really sure what's going to happen with him because he was recently injured. Of course, Japanese players getting signed and then injured. We see that all the time. But what do we think is going to happen? Is it just going to be another player in Los Angeles other than Mike Trout and Albert Pujols? I don't know what's going to happen with this. It uh, it, it could go either way. I will say this. I saw today, um, I guess I guess I was misinformed, but apparently that, that UCL injury or whatever it was, it was just a sprain. So... They were saying it wasn't serious, so I guess he's going to be ready opening day, and he's going to be full strength. Oh, that's good. I do so. want him to – I do hope he's – because he looks like a very, very fun player. I mean, the, Seems that way. Yeah, Japan loved the guy. He was a, a national icon. All these teams tried to get him, and apparently he was not wanting to go to any other team, any other team that has a Japanese-born player, which was an interesting little wrinkle to that. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do. I'm just kind of upset that he went to the Angels. They're just a black hole Very in true. the MLB, and I just hope that they don't ruin him like they're currently ruining one of the most fun players I've ever seen in Mike Trout. And no one would know it because he is in Los Angeles. Exactly. It's unreal. Otani coming from the Nippon Ham Fighters. Oh, oh what yeah. a name. Sponsored by Honey Baked Hand Company. <laughs> I mean, how could he fail, really, if he's coming from that team? A ham fighter? He can't. He surely can't. <laughs> Well, all right, guys, that pretty much does it for the first ever episode of Way Too Loud Podcast. I had fun, and this will turn into a weekly tradition. Hopefully, we can continue success and build from our one listener. Love you, Mom. All right, <laughs> signing off. I'm Jack Noonan. You can follow me on Twitter, at jnoonan1307. I'm Charles Jabbly. Follow me on Twitter, at Charles underscore Jabbly. I'm Richard Powell. You can follow me, at rapowell ninety. And I'm Chip Jabbly, and I can be followed on Twitter at at Jip underscore Chabbly. I'm John Powell, and you can follow me at AKAJP2. All right, thanks again for everyone listening. See ya later.